Please take your Bible with me and turn to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19. I want to thank those who really stepped up and did a great job over the last couple of weeks uh, so that we could be away. We had a great time when we were in California, but we're very glad to be back with you all again this morning. The passage we're going to be looking at today is an extension off of what we looked at last time we were together in Matthew. We looked at the rich young ruler. And so as we begin uh, this passage this morning, in Matthew, we're going to end up in Matthew chapter 20. But as we end up in Matthew 20, I want you to remember that context of that story with the rich young ruler. Jesus launches into a parable here and he begins to explain to his disciples what will be theirs as a result of the master's generosity, as a result of the master's grace, God's grace, uh, within this parable that Jesus tells them this morning. But look with me in the beginning, uh, the, the last verse, chapter 19 and verse 31, and then we'll read into chapter 20. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw a brother standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into that vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, Why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, Because no one has hired us. He said to them, You go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought that each of them would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. Will you pray with me again? Lord, we pray that you'll, by your Spirit, open our eyes to see the great truths from this passage. Thank you for giving it to us. In Jesus' name, amen. How do you generally feel... When somebody gets, in your eyes, more than they deserve. Maybe you've been on the job more years than another person. You've worked hard and you apply for some sort of management position. And they end up getting the job only having worked a year or two, much less time than you. Or maybe in high school, a younger classman got a a starting position on the team that you really felt that you deserved to get. And in your mind, you, you played better than that person. You were a better athlete than them, and they got the starting position. Or maybe even within the context of the local church, that there was a, a brand new member who was asked to work in a, a ministry that you really wanted to serve in, but the opportunity was given to somebody else. As human beings, we have this unwavering commitment 
to justice as far as we're concerned. From the age of a child, we are ruthlessly committed to our own fairness. When somebody else gets more toy time than us, what do we do? I mean, we cry out, that's not fair, right? We're generally not committed to the justice of other children when we're kids ourselves. But when it comes to making sure that we get what we deserve, we're totally all over it. And it, and it completely carries over to adults as well. We are ruthlessly committed to our own justice. But I think as adult Christians, it gets a little more tricky for us because we know that anything that comes into our lives is the result of God providentially extending to us the things that he brings into our lives. And so this gives us something to to kind of reckon with. Because when somebody else gets that promotion or the responsibility or the ministry opportunity, it's because God is giving it to them, right? And so we have this sense of, well, how is that fair? I've been a Christian longer, or I've worked harder, or whatever. And so we wrestle with that. We wrestle with that tension of, I I really deserve what's coming to me. All the while realizing that whatever does come to me or whatever doesn't come to me is the result of our sovereign God working whatever he wants into our lives. And so when those things happen, we know that we're supposed to have the right attitude. We know that we're supposed to respond the way that we should, understanding that it is God that is bringing things into our life or not bringing things into our lives. But it is very difficult to have the right response, regardless of having that theological knowledge that God brings what he wants or doesn't bring what he wants into our lives. It is very difficult to not begrudge the grace of God when we're in those situations. And the story that we're going to be looking at today involves all of this. It involves those who simply got what they deserved. They received their wages, but it also involves those who, quite frankly, did not get what they deserved, but they graciously received far more than they actually deserved. Deserved. Again, you remember that situation with Jesus in the end of chapter 19 with this rich young ruler where this young man runs up to Jesus and he asks him, hey, Jesus, what good deed must I do in order to inherit eternal life? Right. Seems like a really simple question. What thing do I need to do to say, "Okay, check, did it. Now I get eternal life. What is that thing, Rabbi? What is that thing? Jesus And Jesus, after having this conversation about law and telling him, go obey this, this, and this, and this, you need to be perfect, etc., etc., Jesus tells the man that he needs to sell everything that he has, give the financial uh, reward from that to the poor, and to go and follow Jesus as a penniless disciple. Well, of course, that man refused to give up his wealth. He refused to leave it in order to follow Jesus. And in verse 27 of chapter 19... In light of all of that discussion with the rich young ruler, Peter asks this question in light of all that he sees happen with that ruler. And he says this in verse 27. See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? So, so in response to this whole situation with the rich young ruler, Peter's watching it and he's saying, okay, he's not selling everything that he has in order to follow after Jesus. We have left everything in order to follow Jesus. So what is going to be ours as a result? They they left their jobs. They left 
their families. As you know, the disciples, many of them were fishermen. They left that business in order to follow after a man who had no place to lay his head, no place to sleep at night, didn't know where the food was going to be coming from. You know that Matthew himself was writing this passage. He left his lucrative career as a tax collector. So these disciples know a little bit about what it is to leave everything in order to follow after Jesus. So they simply ask in light of that, okay, this guy didn't leave everything. We're willing to leave everything. So since we have left everything, what do we get? And so the point of this parable that Jesus tells is to simply say, yeah, you all have left everything in order to follow after me. But there's going to be a standard across the board reward For everyone who enters into the kingdom of God, it is equal. It is eternal life. So Jesus launches into this parable like he has so many other times before. And he compares the kingdom of God, what he is preaching and proclaiming to the Jews throughout this whole land. And he compares it with things. He says the kingdom of God is like a man who sowed good seed in this field. The kingdom of God is like a grain of a mustard seed. It's like a treasure hidden in a field. A a merchant in search of fine pearls. It's like a net thrown into the sea. And now in Matthew chapter 20, he's picking up these parables again, saying that the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out to hire laborers to work in his vineyard. Jesus says that there's this master who goes out, very early in the morning in order to hire laborers to work on his own estate. This was a very common thing in these days. So this master owns this vineyard and he's going to go at about 6 o'clock in the morning and hire these men. So they would go out into that marketplace and they would find employees for the day where they would find men who were ready and willing to work. I mean, can you even imagine that as an employee, right? I mean, you don't own much of anything. You just need work for the day. And you go out to that marketplace and you just kind of stand around until somebody says, I want you to come work. I want you to come work. That's a very difficult thing. Every day you're up at the crack of dawn, going to the marketplace, just hoping that somebody would hire you for that day. I mean, there's absolutely no job security there. But this particular master goes to the marketplace and finds men to work in the vineyard. And you see in verse 2 that the master and the workers, that they agree on a denarius for that day. There's no minimum wage laws, right? There's no human resources in the hiring process. So this is just a very simple agreement between a master and workers. You're going to work for a denarius today. And we've seen this monetary amount before. This is what the Roman soldiers would make, and this is what the average wage per day was for a low-level employee. And so the master finds these men in the marketplace, they agree on the wages, and he sends them off into his vineyard to work that day. The workers begin working, and after several hours, the master determines that he needs more workers. And so what does he do? He goes back to the marketplace in order to find more people to work in his vineyard. Look again at verse 3. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So Jesus doesn't tell us the exact reason, but apparently this master thought that he needed a bigger crew. And so he goes back to that marketplace at the third hour, which is nine o'clock in the morning, to go get more men. And you see really the same basic process As the first time, except this time, because the men are not working a full day, the master does not agree on a denarius for the day. You notice that? With the men that he gets at 6 o'clock in the morning, he says, you'll make a denarius today. With the men he gets at 9 o'clock in the morning, he simply says, I will give to you 
what is right. And the workers don't argue with him. Instead, they head right off into his vineyard. But what's interesting, as Jesus continues teaching this parable, is that throughout the whole entire day, the master continues to go out to the marketplace in order to hire more and more men. The text says, tells us that he goes out at noontime. He goes out at three in the afternoon. He goes out at five o'clock in the afternoon in order to continue to hire more and more people to work in his vineyard. Now, mind you, the workday during this time was between six in the morning and six at night, which was the 12th hour. So not counting breaks, they would work 12 hours a day, six days a week, all for a denarius a day, which would be enough to feed their families on that day. But look with me at verse 8, how it continues. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. So we see the reiteration of the principle that you saw in verse 31 of chapter 19. That the first will be last and the last will be first. When the foreman calls all of the men who had worked that day to the front, what do they do? They take the people who worked who came in last and put them at the front of the line and the people that were at the very beginning of the day, they were set at the back of the line. And this is a a kingdom principle that the first will be last and the last will be first. This is not how the world works, but this is how the kingdom of God works. This is a total flip of how we often think. We think of those who have have worked long and hard, that they would receive far more than those who have worked for a little bit. Those who are great and powerful, they will do much and, and be great and be first within the kingdom of God. But actually we see throughout this gospel that it is those who are meek and humble that are great in the kingdom of God. In God's kingdom, everything is totally flipped upside down from the way that we normally think about things. And so this owner of the vineyard has his foreman gather all of these workers and he puts the last first and he puts the first last. And beginning with that person that came in five in the afternoon, he begins to give each of them a denarius. He gives each of them a full day's wage. So that person that came at five o'clock, here's your denarius for working one hour. Go. Those who worked at three o'clock, here's your denarius. Go. Those who came at 12 o'clock, denarius. Those who came at 9, denarius. Those who came at 6 in the morning, they also received a denarius. Now I ask you, how would you respond to that? How would you, how would you feel if somebody who worked one hour received the same amount of money as you who worked the entire day? That you had borne the burden of the day. That you had borne the scorching heat. And then somebody comes at five in the afternoon when the shade is out, when it's nice and cool, they work for an hour and they get that full day's wage. Like I asked you even in the beginning of the sermon, at your workplace, where you've been for 10 or 15 years bearing the burdens, working hard, working overtime, striving to please God in your work. And the person who has been there a year or two gets as much or more than you do with a raise or some kind of promotion. How does that make you feel? It feels as though there has been some sort of injustice levied against you because you work so much more. You would feel exactly like these men did. Look at verse 11 again. And on receiving it, they grumbled. That word grumbled is a, an onomatopoeia. Like the word sizzle. It sounds like a sizzling piece of meat or something. It's an onomatopoeia. It's like they grumbled. It's the sound of the word. At, they grumbled at the master of the house saying, These last worked 
only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. These these workers were convinced that the master of the house had committed some sort of injustice against them. He had made those who had worked so little equal to those who had worked so long. But look how it continues in verse 13. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first and the first will be last. The master, he he softly rebukes apparently the spokesman for those who feel like they had been uh, received an injustice. And he says, my friend, the master isn't seeking to commit some sort of injustice. In fact, he explains that no injustice has been given at all because back in verse 2, what did those first workers agree to? They agreed to work for denarius. So he's not going back on their agreement. There was no contingency. There was no agreement that they would get more if others were higher. There was a denarius a day, and that was it. But again, if you were in their shoes, I think you would still feel as though an injustice had been committed against you. Again, we're so committed to to justice in our own lives and feeling as though justice has been dealt to us. And these men are convinced that there has been an injustice levied against them. But what I want you to see is that there is no injustice on the master's part, but there has been a non-justice committed by this master. Do you understand the difference between an injustice and a non-justice? An injustice would be something wrong. It would be something that isn't just. It would be something unrighteous that has been levied or done against somebody. So an injustice is always sinful. It is always wrong. But a non-justice is not sinful. For instance, grace is a non-justice. Mercy is a non-justice. The workers who did not work as long as the others received a non-justice. They received grace. They were given more than they deserve. You see, grace that we have been given is not just. Why? Because you don't deserve it. So it is a non-justice. These men who were considered to be last in the vineyard received amazing grace. An equal reward with those who had worked so much longer. Charles Spurgeon said this about the master. He paid on the scale of grace and not at the rate of merit. He was perfectly right to give the last workers whatever he wanted to give them. Listen to another quotation. The kingdom of heaven is all of grace, and so is the service connected with it. The call to work, the ability, and the reward are all on the principle of grace and not upon that of merit. This kingdom ethic is so different, again, than what we're used to in the world. Because we work and we work and we work and we work. And we expect that we're going to be given more and more and more in in equality to the level of work we put in. That is how much we should receive. But in the kingdom of God, all the workers receive that same wonderful, glorious benefit. Everlasting life. They all receive that same equal reward. This is remarkable. You can even look across our room this morning. And all of you have different testimonies. You've all been brought to Christ in different ways. God has 
uh, allowed some of you and, and myself and my wife and to grow up in a Christian home. He's allowing your children to grow up in a Christian home. But for some of you, you did not have that opportunity. Where maybe the Lord saved you later on in life. 50s, 60s, 70s. But regardless, I'm not saying you're late in life if you're in your 50s. But you, you get the idea. But having spoken with many of you. I know that you have not received that opportunity to be saved from a very young age and to never know a time when you didn't know Christ. And in keeping with this parable, it would not be right for anybody who has been saved a long time, working for the kingdom of God for decades, bearing the burden of the day, as it were, bearing the scorching heat and the difficult times, it would not be right for those Christians to look to the Master, to look to God and say, Who do you think you are giving these people the same reward that I have received? They're in their 70s. They haven't done anything but but wrong throughout their entire lives. Who are they now to receive the same standing with you that you gave me where I have worked for you my entire life? How wrong would it be for us to say that? That we have borne the burden of the day in the kingdom. That we've been struggling and toiling and somehow we're still supposed to get that same basic benefit? That kind of statement is a statement of somebody who just does not get it. That does not understand the gospel. That doesn't understand the kingdom principle. That the first will be last. And the last will be first. I love that question that the master asks toward the end of this parable. Where he says, do you begrudge my generosity? Who are we to begrudge the generosity of God? Who are we to begrudge the master's grace? Was it not God himself who said, I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. We are to do nothing but to stand back and say, okay, we're good with that. That is your choice. You can dispense your grace. You can dispense your goodness on whomever you please, whenever you plan or please to do it. You know, I couldn't even help think of this question. I've been asked this question about those who raped women or molested children or killed people. They lived their whole lives doing nothing but destroying the lives of other people. And then they go to prison and some guy gets up with a Bible in a prison and he preaches the gospel to them and they trust in Christ and they receive eternal life, they receive the forgiveness of their sins. And we stand back and we say, how is that just? They don't deserve to go to hell. I remember watching in college a a video of, you remember Ted Bundy, there's a YouTube video out there of him sitting with James Dobson in a prison, he's about to be put to death and he's saying, I've trusted in Christ. And you're like, no way, you deserve to go to hell. But isn't that the point? That we all deserve to go to hell. But God has given us, not justice, because justice would be hell. He has given us a non-justice. He has given us grace. He has given us mercy to those who do not deserve it. Heaven is filled with people who have been extended undeserved grace. This is the entire testimony of the Bible. 
Abraham, who went outside of God's plan and had sex with a slave girl. David committed adultery and he murdered a man. The thief on the cross next to Jesus. What He, he lived his whole life as a thief and now he's going to be on a cross next to Jesus. And he's going to say, hey, remember me when you go into your kingdom. Okay, you got it, brother. You're going to be with me in paradise today. He spent his whole life doing nothing but wrong. And now he's going to get this non-justice. Now he's going to receive this grace. You consider further on than that. You think of the, the Apostle Paul who approved in Acts 6 and 7, standing there and approving of Stephen getting stoned to death. He's dragging men and women off to prison. And then in Acts chapter 9, what happens? The clouds open. Jesus is like, stop persecuting me. He's like, okay, I'm saved now. right? And he lived his life doing nothing but wrong, committing nothing but injustices against people. Yet God gave him an amazing non-justice. And my friends, this is what we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That those he came to save, he saves them, he redeems them, and then he thrusts them into his kingdom work, and they all receive that same beautiful gift of eternal life. And I know some of you may be thinking, well, aren't there different rewards different that, that he gives to us and so forth for different works or being ministers? There, there's a crown given and there's a crown for this, a crown for that, and yes, there are those But the same across the board reward is given to all those who have trusted in Jesus Christ. They receive the status of a kingdom worker by his grace and they receive eternal reward by his grace. And I think it's when we lose sight of the gospel, the fact that Jesus came and he lived and he died and he rose again for all of us. When we we lose sight of the gospel, we lose our gratitude for what he has done. We lose our gratitude when we take our eyes off of him and gratitude for the gospel that he has given to us. We begin to look down our noses at others who may be receiving grace. But the gospel and being made part of the kingdom of God, that will never work itself into us. If we are trusting in that gospel and glorying in the gospel, we will not think of things in that sort of way. The gospel humbles us. It causes us to know and to remember that we do not deserve the master's grace. We do not deserve to be workers in the master's vineyard in the first place, let alone receive eternal life. See, the gospel and our understanding and our deepening understanding of it, it helps us to understand God's grace. Consider this. Those last workers that we refer to them as that came late in the day, And the first laborers that came. Out of those two groups of people, which one of them went away with a deeper understanding of grace? The first laborers who had borne the burden of the day or the last laborers who knew without a shadow of a doubt that they didn't deserve any of what they got? Certainly the last went away with a greater understanding of God's grace. They went home with a story to tell. They and their families' bellies were full that night as a result of the master's grace. They better understood what it meant for the first to be last and the last to be first. They got that kingdom principle. And may God help us as the result of considering this passage this morning to behold afresh the grace of God in our own lives and to not begrudge his grace on anybody else. Lord, we thank you for your teaching We thank you for this 
parable that you taught your disciples in light of all that they had left, what they would receive would be the same standard wonderful gift that you give to all of those who work for your kingdom. Father, we pray that you'll make us better workers, harder workers, considering that you will come again. May we not be idle. May we be in your vineyard working. And Lord, we pray that as we continue doing life together as a church, that we will not begrudge the grace 